All right. Hey, what's up, Flatirons? How are you? You made it to 2018. You did it. The future, you're, the future's here and you're in it. <laughs> you survived. Um, hey, I, I'm Ben. My name is Ben Foote. I'm the teaching pastor here. If you don't know me, uh, glad you're here. A quick like shout out, special welcome to any of you who got like suckered into coming to Flatirons for the very first time over Christmas services. And then afterwards you were like, all right, this place doesn't suck that bad. I'll give it one more shot. And you're here, and this is your one more shot. I'm genuinely glad you're here. I was the guy who got suckered into coming to this place eight years ago, and I was like, I'll give it another, another shot and another shot. And eventually, I looked at Jesus, and I was like, you can just do whatever you want with my life. You, you can have the whole thing. And it's changed me, and he's still changing me. Um, so I mean it genuinely. Like, if that's you, and this is your, this is your one more shot, like, I'm glad you're here. Um, Anyway, for those of you who do know me and you're like, where have you been? Uh, I've been gone. I've been out of pocket for a while. I haven't taught uh, here for two months. Not like I'm keeping track or anything. Um, uh, (laughs) I took a two-month break, and it was weird. Like, that's the longest I've gone without teaching something to someone somewhere for like five years now. And I went through teaching withdrawal. I was like trying to teach people who just don't care at all, you know? Like, I'm at Target, and I'm like, do you want to know something cool I learned about Exodus? (laughs) You know, the guy's like, do you want a Target red card? And I'm like, no. Uh, I also learned in this, in this two-month teaching break that I have, like, almost no other discernible skills at all. <laughs> like, this is all God gave me. Uh, I'm not a green thumb. I killed my Christmas tree, like, immediately, and I was trying to keep it alive. I, I, I even, even though I like it, I'm not good at manual labor. Like, I, I shoveled the snow on my sidewalk. It took a fortnight to accomplish the task. Uh, and then home improvement was interesting. I tried, you know. I you got the hammer out and the drill out and... My house looks the same, and I just bled everywhere. And so all that to say, I'm glad to be back here with you, spending time here. Um, and so uh, at the same time, like, you know, this long break was for, for good reason, and I'm glad I got to take it because on December 13th, Allie and I had our third baby, Chloe May. There, yeah. Thank you. It's Chloe May. Chloe May's the little one. In case you're like, that baby's huge. No, those are the other ones. Uh, she's beautiful, healthy, happy, all that stuff. Um, so, so last year, I saved up all of my vacation hours to take kind of like a paternity leave. And then those hours happened to back right up against our staff-wide Christmas vacation. In the end, I got 19 days off in a row, which is insane. Like that never happens. You know, like for everyone else sitting in these seats, I have not had 19 days off in a row since I started working like at age 14, literally. Um, and I don't think I realized before I took that break just how badly I needed it. Like, I don't think I realized how badly I needed to take a breath, right, and, and hit pause and spend time with my family and celebrate some good things that have happened, prepare for some hard things that are coming down the road and kind of just rest up before jumping back into this race of life. It was a really good break. I needed it. I needed to take a breath. At the same time, however, even though the last few weeks have been really great, my year as a whole, 2017, was just long. It was a long one. It was exhausting. It was rough road. If December 31st, midnight on December 31st is like the finish line of 2017, I was the one like crawling across it like those people at Ironman races. I don't know if you, like, I don't know if you've run one or seen this. You have to YouTube it. It's great. But like there's some racers, their bodies will literally quit working. 
and there's all these great videos of like people, you know, I shouldn't laugh at it, but there's like people trotting across the finish line and then some dude will just come like crawling across the line. That was me entering into 2018. 2017 was just hard. And I know I'm not alone. I know that year was a hard one for a lot of us. And I know that because I know some of your stories, right? I know, I, I've talked to you. I, I know that in 2017, we lost dads and husbands. I know we lost babies. I know the cancer came back. I know she returned the engagement ring. I, I, you lost your job. I, I know that in 2017, the depression, the anxiety got worse. It didn't get better. You did the thing that you promised you'd never do again right? You, you took another drink or you spent another night with, with the person that you promised you wouldn't, whatever it is, fill in the blank. It's been a long year. I mean, I know that there's a lot of us like, across all of our campuses that, that we just sang that last song and, and, you know, the words, you are good, you are good, repeating over and over again and never going to let me down, never going to let me down. And we couldn't sing that today, right? Because that's not how life feels. It definitely feels like he let us down, I, I get it. It's been a long year. And it's, it's one of those seasons right now where we're very aware of how hard the year has been because it's the New Year season. And New Year is like this weird limbo space that only lasts a couple of days where it's almost like you're, we're not in any year. It's like you're removed from time and you're looking back at the previous year and you're looking ahead to the next year. And whenever we look back, we always look back at the negative stuff. Always. As, you know, that's natural. It's just easier to identify our losses than it is to identify our wins. And that's why when we look ahead to the next year, we make resolutions, right? That's, when, that's where we go, okay, you know, Ben, uh, everything changes, all right? Everything changes, like January 1st, uh, everything's gonna be different. I'm gonna get my act together. And we say things like, 2018 is gonna be my fresh start. I'm just gonna start over. That's what a lot of us want. We want, right now, we just want a fresh start. Like, can I just hit reset? My question that I want to talk about today, though, is this. What if we don't need fresh starts? Like, what if that's the wrong way of, of picturing our lives? Here's what I mean. So for, for those of us in the room who have put our faith in Jesus, which means you believe he is who he says he is, and he'll keep all of his promises to you. If, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the Bible promises that we are now new creations, and what does that mean? What, what, what is new about us? It's this. Your relationship with God is now family and your status with God is now forgiven. So in other words, we already got our fresh start. We've already had it. And so what if we don't need fresh starts? What if we don't need to begin 2018 way back at the starting line? Instead, what if we need to figure out a way to just keep running? What if we need to figure out a way to keep going even though the last leg of the race has been very difficult? And if that's the case, if that's true, how do we do that? How do we keep running? Especially for those of us that 2017 is just kind of beaten up. How do we keep going? Because we're exhausted. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. This metaphor of life as a race, a running race, it's a metaphor that the Bible uses all the time. It talks about life as a distance race, like we're in this thing for the long haul. And if you've run distance before, then you know that it takes more than just power and speed and strength. Running for distance takes what we've been talking about in here for months. It takes vision and intent and strategy. When you run for distance, you got to understand your own pace. And you got to find intentionally moments to slow your pace down and, and catch your breath 
and give your muscles a break so that you can prepare for the next long stretch of the race. You just can't sprint a marathon. You can't. You'll never reach the finish line. You'll burn out. Instead, you've got to build in these little wins, right? So if you've run a marathon, you know this. You've got you to do things like you go, okay, that street light two blocks down. When I make it there, I'm going to walk the intersection. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a breath. And I'm going to take a drink of water. And then when I get across the intersection, I will keep running. You need these little wins along the way if you want the big win of finishing a marathon. And the Bible's very clear that life is a marathon, uh, look at these verses is written by a guy named Paul where he talks about life as, as a race. He says this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, obviously, but only one gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Run this race like you're aiming for first place. Meaning we should give the race, this our life, everything that we have. But giving this life and race everything we have does not mean that we got to sprint from line to line. That's not a good strategy for getting the prize. And Paul says we should race to get the prize. Then he says this, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. So they used to get not medals, but wreaths that would wilt and die. So they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So, so Paul says this marathon race of a life, it's going to take disciplined training and it will also take intentional pacing if we ever want to make it to the finish line. But our finish line is worth making it to. We should. It's worth it. Our finish line doesn't come with a ribbon that goes in the shoebox that goes in the basement. Our finish line is forever. Our, our finish line is eternity. It's finally being made completely and perfectly whole. The problem, though, is that we're not going to be made completely, perfectly whole until either you die or Jesus comes back, whichever one happens first, which means that we are in this race for the long haul. We are going the distance. This whole relationship with Jesus, relationship with yourself, relationship with others, it's going to take your whole life, literally. And if that's the case, then it's simply not a good strategy for us. It's not a good strategy to feel like we have to walk back to the starting line every single time we trip, stumble, or fall behind and screw up. If we do that, we're not going to get anywhere. That's not how we're going to reach the finish line and get the prize. And that's why it's important for us to understand that if you've put your faith in Jesus, you're forgiven. You don't have to go back to the starting line. When you screw up, Jesus doesn't look at you and go, oh, you messed everything up. Go back and start over. He never says that. You're forgiven. He doesn't tell you to start over. He tells you to start from wherever you left off. So wherever you've tripped, wherever you've crashed, he picks you back up and he goes, no, no need to start over. Just keep running. I don't know about you, but I crash. Like, you know, this life as a race metaphor, me, I'm tripping the whole race through. That's my entire life. And so for me, a lot of times, running a really great race simply looks like not quitting yet. That's what it looks like for me. Don't quit even though I want to. Don't quit even though I feel like I got reason to because my life has been out of control. It's not a result of me screwing anything up and it's been hard. Can't quit yet. This is just logic. L look at this. To, to, to run a great race, you must at the very least keep running. It's the only requirement. You gotta keep going. But of course, that's the hardest part of running a race. 
The hardest part of a race isn't the starting line, it's not the finish line, it's the whole running thing that sucks, right? That's the part that's hard. And so how do we keep moving? How do we keep running, especially when we feel beaten and exhausted and alone on the track? How do we do that? Honestly, this is where I screw it up a lot because I think that I have to find the strength within myself to pick myself up by the bootstraps and and keep running. And it's always a letdown because I'm not strong enough. If I were strong enough, I wouldn't be, you know, collapse on the track, sucking wind and talking about quitting. So we know already that we're not strong enough. So we know that the key to running a great race can't be found in our own strength. If it was, it'd be hopeless. The key to running a great race is finding strength in someone else who is strong enough to keep us running. And that person, according to the book of Hebrews, is Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, Look at this verse, whether, whether you believe it yet or not, this is the only viable vision and strategy for running a great race. Hebrews says this, says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so if we want to run this race well, we have to set our eyes on the best runner in the pack, and that's Jesus. And this is Jesus. He's the one who, for the joy, because of the joy set before him, because he knew that if he crossed the finish line, he would be able to drag the rest of us with him into freedom and forgiveness and abundant life because of the joy of knowing what was ahead of him. He endured the most brutal legs of this race and he ran the race well and he ran it perfectly. And Jesus says that fixing our eyes on him is our only shot at not growing weary and losing heart. It's our only shot at running a great race. And honestly, that's a good strategy. It it is, it is for life. It makes sense. It's also a great strategy for literal running. It works. Uh, for, some, uh, for those of you in the room who are like for some weird reason runners, like you, you know that sometimes the best way to, to run a really long race is simply to try and keep up with whoever's in front of you, to try and keep up with first place. And I actually know this from, from experience. I'll explain. Um, so I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I firmly believe that running should only be done when something's chasing you. And that's it. <laughs> I do believe that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, if you get up and it's a crisp morning before work, don't go running. You know, if it's a crisp morning before work and there's a pit bull behind you, go for it. Like, you know, like running should not be called a sport. It's a survival tactic. That's how I think about running. Um, but for two stupid years of my life, ninth and 10th grade, I ran track. And for an even stupider reason that I can't remember, I ran the mile and the two miles. Terrible. I don't remember really anything about this phase of my life other than hating every minute of it. Um, <laughs> but I do remember this one track meet. I want to I share this story with you. So at, at this track meet, I'm running the two mile. It's a brutal race. Um, and as I'm warming up and, and stretching, I'm doing what you always do, which is, you know, you got to size up your competition. And I'm going, okay, I'm faster than him, faster than him. And um, as I'm doing that, I, I, there's this, I noticed this Ethiopian kid there from a different school. I never raced against him before. And I'm telling you, this guy was unreal. Like he's one of those guys who's made for running. 
Um, maybe you know what I mean. Like, so most people when they run, myself definitely included, we just kind of plod heavily, you know, and like pant and wheeze and like limbs are going places they shouldn't. Um, and, but then those who run really, really well, they're just like calm and they glide they glide. I don't know how else to explain it. Like, they, it looks like they're barely even touching the ground. And this Ethiopian kid, he ran like that. Like, he was just such a good runner. And so I'm sizing up the competition. I notice this guy. I know there's no way of me taking first place in this race. And so I set a new goal. My new goal is I just want second place. I just want to be as close to this kid as possible. And that was my goal. I was going to fix my eyes on him and try and stay close. So the starter pistol goes off, and like a great distance runner, which he was, he's immediately pacing himself. He's not sprinting. He's not going to sprint until his last of the eight laps around the track. And for the first mile, I'm like right next to him. The problem, however, is that I'm not all pacing myself. I'm like at a dead sprint to keep up with this dude. Like I am murdering myself. And, and so after the first mile, the first four laps, my, I can't take it anymore. My body starts quitting on me. My body's basically like, dude, I hate you. Like, after all we've been through, and this is how you treat me. And so, so my legs start cramping, like, and I can't, like, bend my knees, you know, and my lungs feel like they're exploding. I taste blood in my mouth. My vision is blurry. I'm not exaggerating about any of that. That's how I felt. And so for the second mile, this kid starts pulling, like, way ahead of me. By the time he crosses the finish line in first place, he is more than like half a track ahead of me and I'm in second place. In fact, he lapped everybody except for me. He, I mean, he has to be famous now. Like his name was something Bolt. That's all I remember. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was incredible. Now, okay, so fast forward what felt like 20 minutes later. Now I'm crossing the finish line in second place, and I can't do the thing that you're supposed to do after, after a long race, which is cool down. I can't do it. I'm shot. And so I mean, like, instantly I cross the finish line, and then I'm like, <sighs> and collapse in the grass next to the track, and I'm lying on my back, and I feel like I'm dying. I'm staring at the clouds, and they're spinning. I cannot catch a breath. There's angels saying, like, you know, step into the light and don't be afraid and all that stuff. <laughs> And I just feel like I'm dying. And that's when two things happen that I'll never, never forget. So, so the first thing that happens is, like, I'm on, remember, I'm on my back. I'm staring at the sky. And the first face that kind of shoots into view is one of my teammates. And she's super pumped. And she keeps shouting. She goes, Ben, sub five, sub five. Your, your first mile was sub five. Well, later when my brain received oxygen and worked, I realized that I had run that first mile in four minutes and 40-something seconds, which is, uh, yeah. No, I'm still shocked by that. <laughs> I literally, I'd, okay, I told this story at, at student ministry uh, years ago, and I was like, that can't be right. And so I called the school, and, and I was like, Ben Foote, like, and I still hold the record at the school for, for the mile. Um, but they shut their doors last year, so it doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, 440 something. Before that, my best mile was 520 something. It's crazy. It's the fastest mile I have run by far. It's the fastest mile I've ever run, and I can guarantee you on purpose will ever run. Like, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and at the time, I should have been ecstatic. I should have been so excited because I ran a really, really good race. At the time, though, I don't care. Like, all I'm thinking about in my head is I took second. This isn't worth it. Like, I'm exhausted I feel like I'm dying, and honestly, in the first place, the race isn't even worth it. 
I quit. This is stupid. But that's when the second thing happened that I'll never forget. So my teammate just kind of like stares at me and realizes I'm catatonic and drooling and she leaves. And then, so then the second face that shoots into view is the Ethiopian kid. And he's just got this big, like warm smile on his face. And he reaches out his hand and he, and he pulls me to my feet. And this is the thing I'll never forget. He's holding my shoulders because I can't stand anymore. <laughs> and he's holding my shoulders. He looks me right in the eyes with a big smile. He says in a way that's like it was in no way condescending or cheap. He says to me in broken English, he goes, hey. He goes, you run good, man. I can't do his accent, but you know, that's it. He goes, that's it. He goes, hey, you run good, man. And that was it. He pulled me in, gave me a quick hug, and then he just glided out of my life. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, and so here, here's the reason I'm telling the whole story. Here's the interesting part, is I only ran that race well because I had my eyes fixed on him. I was only trying to keep up with him. I, essentially, he handed me my fastest mile. He had every right to pull me up and go, I was half a track in front of you. <laughs> you know, he could have done that. He, could, he also had every right to pull me up and go, hey, you're welcome. I just made you better. But he didn't. Instead, even though I only ran that race well because of him, he pulled me up and wanted me to celebrate my race. And so he goes, hey, listen, dude, you run good, man. And then he left. I never saw the kid again in my life, never competed again, uh, against him again, and I quit track at the end of that year because uh, he had left me. Um, <laughs> but I've always kind of wondered this. I've, wa- I've wondered if that kid went to my school and he was at track practice every single day encouraging everyone and challenging everyone to new limits, would I have kept running? And I, I wonder, like, would I have run even faster and faster miles? If, if every race I ran, I was able to fix my eyes on the champion. And honestly, I think I would have. And, and of course, we're, you know, we're no longer talking about some Ethiopian kid at a two-mile race that Ben Foote ran nearly 20 years ago. We're talking about us. We're talking about what it looks like to not quit and keep running. Because in Jesus, we have the champion. Uh, he's the one, who, he's the only one who's ever run this race of a life perfectly. And just like in a literal race, if we fix our eyes on him, if we stay in his slipstream, he will drag us to places that were not possible on our own power, not possible if we're running the track by ourselves. And, and just like, you know, my, my story about my track meet, J- Jesus never gloats about how great he is in front of us in order to make us feel shame for how ungracefully we've been running this race. And, and when, when he fixes us and heals us despite our vast brokenness and, and despite the fact that we fight against him all of the time, he doesn't pull us back up to our feet and go, hey, listen, you're welcome. Like, you're a wreck and I'm fixing you. He never does that. And so every time we bumble across the mile markers at every single New Year's Eve and we're out of breath and exhausted in pain, ready to quit, Jesus is right there and he pulls us up and he says, listen, you run good. All right, it's the only reason you're exhausted. You run good. And he goes, just take a breath. 
Like a good distance runner who's running to get the prize, take a breath and look behind you at 2017. Yes, it's been hard, and yes, it's been grueling, but look at how much ground you've covered. You're not the same person you were last year. Jesus says, listen, you're growing and changing. I made sure of it. So take a breath and celebrate how far you've come, and then when you got your legs back, fix your eyes on me and let's keep running. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about this. It's what if before we burn ourselves out by sprinting right into 2018, what if instead we slow our pace down and take a breath and try to identify some of the wins that Jesus has handed us? And if we do that, could it give us the steam and the encouragement we need to keep sprinting right into 2018 for the long haul? That's what the series is about. Here's something interesting is I was not supposed to teach on this today. So before we had Chloe, I, you know, I was trying to get prepared. I knew I was teaching this weekend. And so I made a long outline, detailed outline on something I wanted to teach from Acts that I'm excited about. Hopefully we'll get, I'll get to do that later. Um, and so that's what I was supposed to teach on. Here's why I'm not. So, so last Monday, I wake up and I'm, you know, that's the day I'm supposed to write. And I feel terrible. Got a, you know, flu-like symptoms, headache, stomach ache, all that stuff. I feel better now. Um, but I think God made me sick on Monday because he had different plans. Um, and so he gave me diarrhea. And uh, <laughs> he works in mysterious ways. <laughs> uh, and so I feel terrible all day long. You know, I do other stuff, do email, all that, get back on Monday night, uh, back home, and Allie and I finally watched week three of Broken Halos, our Christmas series. That's the week that we missed uh, when we had Chloe. I'm telling you, if you've missed this week, you have to today go watch this online. And I'm so sad I missed it. In, in my opinion, it's one of the more powerful experiences we've had as a community, at least since I've been coming here to Flatirons. Gotta watch it. Uh, if you don't know which one I'm talking about, that's the one where it's the shepherd boy weekend. That's where Jim explained that we're giving away the yellow VW bug that had been on, on stage all December. And he, he explained that after, afterwards, you could go to the lobby and put your name in the hat to win that car. And as you put your name in the hat, you, you, there was a suggested donation of 25 bucks. You could give more money than that, less money than that, or no money. And Jim, of course, made the joke, it's suggested, but Jesus is watching, and if you don't give any money, you'll go to hell. But... <laughs> Uh, suggest that you don't do that. Um, but he joked. Of, that's a joke. Um, don't worry. Uh, but, and the reason that we were taking suggested donations is because 100% of the money donated to take a ticket was going to be used to buy car seats and hopefully even cars for single moms who go here and families in crisis who go here to Flatirons and even people outside of Flatirons. And after those services, you walked into the lobby and you did something incredible, which is you gave money that you need in order to help out some people that 2017 has left exhausted and collapsed in a heap. And like, like we're not allowed to share yet like the exact amount of the current donations. I wish I could, um, but, but we're going to do something special with that in a couple weeks. Don't miss the next few weeks. I'm telling you this though, I can't share the number. It's shocking. Like, it's genuinely shocking, unbelievable, and it's so in line with the heart of who Jesus is, who sacrifices himself on behalf of other people who are suffering. Can't wait to share it with you. 
Um, but go back to Monday night. Allie and I are watching this talk, and I had an experience, which I almost never have because I almost never miss church. I'm having this experience where I'm watching Jim pitch the vision, um, not knowing how it's going to go over, about buying car seats and hopefully even cars for, for families who need them. I'm watching it, but because I'm watching it late, I also already know the overwhelming generosity that we showed as a church. And so like I already know the outcome, the end of the story, and I don't know how to explain what I felt other than I felt utter pure joy. Because like at the end of the day, I just, I love this place. I love Flatirons. I love it here. I, I love us. I love you. Oh, yeah. I love it. I mean, I, I really, I, that, I felt that so deeply uh, Monday night. And most importantly, the thing I felt the most, uh, it, more than loving this place, more than all that, is I love what God is doing. I love him for this. I, I'm thankful to him for this. I love that I get to be a part of a rough crowd where we're honest about our brokenness, but we also know that we're forgiven. I love that we, we know and we, we're honest about how we're not perfect. We know that. We don't pretend to be. But at the same time, we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, and he's doing a great work for us, through us. Uh, on Monday night, basically, I felt what I think Paul must have felt when he wrote a letter to, to his buddies. Uh, he wrote this. I want to read the beginning Uh, of this letter. Paul writes this to his friends. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If Paul were to write that same letter today to his friends here at Flatirons, he might write something like this. Hey, listen, Flatirons, I thank my God every single time I think about you. Every time I pray for you, I'm filled with joy. Not because you are awesome, you're not, but because you have fixed your eyes on the one who is awesome. And I'm confident in this. I know 2017 has been hard, and I know you're exhausted and beaten down and ready to quit, but I'm confident that Jesus will finish what he started in you. I'm sure of it. So don't quit now, because you run good, Flatirons. You run good. Don't quit. Fix your eyes on him and keep running. I felt those exact words. That's how I feel. I felt on Monday night. I'm still riding on that high. And so Tuesday morning, I go into Jim's office and I'm like, what if we just cancel and scrap everything that we had planned? And I, t- I explain Monday night to him. I go, what if instead we just take a few weeks at the new year to take a breath and celebrate some of the wins that we've had as a church? What if we take a break and just encourage everybody and a moment to say, hey, we run good. We run good flat irons, we do, and it's only because we fixed our eyes on the one who runs perfectly. And Jim was like, yeah, I love it, let's do that, let's run with that, you know, no pun intended. And so, and so we are, and the next few weeks we're just going to share some stories of the incredible wins that Jesus has handed us as a church, as a people, we're going to celebrate those wins, and we're going to boast, like we're going to brag Not on ourselves, but we're going to brag on how incredible and faithful Jesus has been to rough, broken, messy people like us. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to apologize for bragging on Jesus. It's actually biblical. Here's how one of the psalmists says it. He says this, in God we make our boast. In God we brag all day long and we will praise your name forever. 
God is simply worth bragging about. And so that's what we're gonna do for the next couple weeks. And, and this is important right at the very beginning, just so I can be so clear. You gotta hear me. We're not boasting in how incredible we are. We're not incredible. We're, we're boasting in Jesus and Jesus alone because he alone is bringing to completion, like he promised, the good work that he started in us. And because of him alone, we're closer to the finish line than we were last year. And that's something worth celebrating. And so we're just going to share stories for the next few weeks. Oh, we're going to share behind the scenes kind of stories. These are the things that we on staff get to hear all the time, but you probably don't. And we're going to share some of the stories of what, what God is doing in the lives of people here. And to kind of hold us over to, to next week, I'm going to tell two stories real quick. These are two stories that make me want to brag about how good our God has been to us. And one of them is about us as a whole, as a community, as a church. And one of them is a story from one of, just one of the individuals who sits in these seats every single weekend. So, so here's the first quick story about us, us as a church. Um, sometimes when, when I'm talking with other pastors or people who go to a different church or not a church or whatever, I feel like I have to apologize for being a large church. I don't know why. I'm, I just always kind of feel like I have to go, yeah, but we're not a mega church like that. Like, I know, I know you think it's a cult. It's not. Like, I always feel like I have to, like, uh, like whine and apologize. Um, but now amongst Flatiron's family, I'm not going to apologize for celebrating a, a win with you, which is this. Two weeks ago, at Christmas services, we had more people at a Christmas service in our campus than we have ever had as a church. We had 30,617 people show up to our Christmas services. And it's healthy to boast in God for that turnout because, I, listen, this is not false humility when I say this. I mean this and I can vouch for my leadership and, and our staff. They, they mean this too, that we believe this. We had nothing to do with that. Uh, we can't force people to go to church. You know that. You tried. It didn't work, right? You just have this awkward neighbor who avoids you all the time now. <laughs> we can't force people to come here. Instead, Jesus leads people through the front doors for the very first time. I'm not bragging on our staff. I'm not bragging on our weekend experience or whatever. I'm not even bragging about us. I'm bragging about Jesus because for the great joy set before him, he led thousands of broken, tired runners into these front doors at all of our campuses to hear, maybe for the first time ever, that God does not hate them, he loves them. And, and they, they got to hear, maybe for the first time ever, that Jesus isn't aloof. Or he, he's not some sweet little Christmas baby with a pampered life who doesn't get you and can't relate to you. Instead, the hope of Christmas is that God himself entered into humanity as a human to suffer for us and to suffer with us. He was born into a down and out family in a down and out part of the world and he suffered in all the ways that we suffered so that, and this should blow our minds, so that God himself could look at us in our deepest, darkest moments of pain and despair and genuinely say, me too. Genuinely say, I, listen, I remember what that feels like. That's incredible. And then he died a death that he didn't deserve so that we could enjoy a freedom and forgiveness and grace and mercy that we don't deserve. And over 30,000 people got to hear that two weeks ago, and I boast in that. That's not a brag on us. That's a brag on our God because I love what he's doing here, and I love what he's doing in and through us. You run good flat irons. 
And you go, well, that sounds contradictory because we had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I know. Jesus is the one who brings those people through our front doors. At the same time, if we aren't running with our eyes fixed on Jesus, and if we aren't honest about our brokenness, he, won't lead, he would be good to lead those people elsewhere. Why would he ever lead them in here if they're just going to get more guilt and shame heaped on their heads? That's a win worth celebrating. Or, or, or how about this one? So, so for all the jokes that Jim and I make about, you know, receiving nasty emails or whatever, the honest truth is that like 99% of the stories that we get to hear are, are from marathon runners who just want to celebrate a win that Jesus has handed them. We get to hear incredible stories. And so I want to read one to you now. It's an email we got. And I'm telling you, this is just one email out of literally thousands that we get to hear. I want to read it to you. We got this one a few weeks ago, um, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to read this woman's email and keep her anonymous. So she wrote this. She said, I have kind of an amazing story to tell about what happened to me at church yesterday. First, a little backstory on me. I was raised by a very strong Christian mom, and I, all, I was always in and around church growing up. But as many people do, in my 20s, I drifted. I've been married twice and divorced twice. I met my second husband on a Christian dating website. We went to church together and did Bible studies together, and so I figured we were in a lot better shape than my first marriage. But after about two and a half years of marriage, I discovered he was having an affair with a woman who worked for him. We went to counseling through the church, but he didn't seem to want to fix what was broken, and so we ended it. And before we even officially split, his girlfriend was already pregnant with their child. She writes, she says, so back to the present, I'm single and happy. I have a great family, a great job, and I'm in a very good place. My daughter and I volunteer in children's ministry, and yesterday was my weekend to work in the 24 to 27-month-old room, which makes her a saint to begin with, in my opinion. I don't know why you hang out with people that age if they're not yours. <laughs> Thank you for doing it, though. Uh, so her daughter, she said, we volunteered at the 9 a.m. service at Lafayette and then attended the 11. When we went upstairs, our usual seats were taken, so we moved over a couple sections and sat on a front row. When the music was done, we turned around and shook hands with the couple behind us, and the woman said she thought she knew me, but I had no idea who she might be. When service got done, I turned around and asked her if she figured out where we knew each other from. She looked at me and just said, and I'm going to change the name in the email, she looked at me and just said, I'm Sarah. And this was the other woman. This was the other woman from my second marriage, the one who had pursued my husband and gotten pregnant while we were still married. I pretty much had an out-of-body experience and was sobbing almost immediately, even though my marriage has been done for 12 years now. This is just something that I never expected would happen in a million years. But as we stood there, both crying, I looked at her and said, and this is what she said to the other woman, I looked at her and said, the only thing that keeps running through my mind to say to you is I forgive you. She goes on to write. She says, this is by the grace of God alone that I can do this. On my own power, I would not have been able to forgive her. I wouldn't have hugged this woman and told her I have a good life and that I'm happy and that she's forgiven. And once we both, both calmed down a little bit and stopped crying, I learned that she had been running late to church that day. And when she showed up, we were the ones sitting in her usual section. And so she sat right behind us. If that God, isn't God putting his hand in our lives and orchestrating that moment, then I don't know what it is. And this all happened because we serve an awesome God. Thank you for leading us and for giving us a place where we can bump into God every single week. I kind of feel like he body slammed me yesterday. <laughs> 
I kind of feel like he body slammed me yesterday, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. That is one in a thousand of the stories of God doing a really, really great work in the lives of the people who sit in these seats every single week. And that's what we're going to share throughout this series, because who does that? Like, uh, for real, who forgives like that? And I'll tell you who it is. Like she admitted, it's not on her own power. You can only forgive like that if you're the kind of person who knows so deeply that you yourself have been forgiven. And that's only someone who is running this race with their eyes fixed on the person that forgave them. That's Jesus. This is a win that Jesus handed to the woman. And then even though he's the one who did the good work, he asks her and us to celebrate it. And so, I, you know, I don't know if these people are here, but for the woman who was brave enough to, to write the email, you run good. And it's not because you're awesome. It's because you have fixed your eyes on the one who is awesome. And to the other woman in the email, I hope you're here. Listen, you run good. And it's not because you're awesome. It's because you have fixed your eyes on the person who is awesome. Jesus, to the, to the women in the email, to everybody in the room, Jesus doesn't hold your past over your head, and I won't either. We're, we're a church filled with people who have been very deeply, deeply forgiven, and so you're in the right place, and you're following the right runner. You run good, and that's a win worth celebrating. Three weeks from now, we can look at the finish line and figure out how to get there. Until then, we take a break and we swap stories. Stories like that one because they're worth, they're worth celebrating. I mean, I know that the last year has been awful. It's been maybe even your hardest year yet. And 2018 could honestly be more of the same, regardless of like how much faith you have. Uh, one of my friends lost his dad just a few days before New Year's Eve. Another one of my really good friends, he couldn't make it through January 2nd before losing his dad. Who knows what tomorrow holds? I don't. You don't. But I do know this. Jesus has not left us in the dust, and he will keep his promise that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to walk backwards and start over. Now is the time to take a breath and celebrate some wins and brag on Jesus for how incredibly good he's been to very rough and broken people like us. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, but if you could stand up with me first. We're about to sing this song and celebrate. And until next week, be thinking of, of some of the little wins that Jesus has handed you and start celebrating them so that we can run a good race in 2018. Pray with me. God, I thank you for this place. I I mean, I still feel, you know, overwhelmed with that feeling of just deep thankfulness. I haven't, I I know there's other places like this that exist, other communities that exist. I just haven't been able to find one. I, I, I love that you gave us these people. I love that you gave us this place where we can show up with other honest, broken people who say me too and worship a God who came to earth to suffer with us and say me too. I love it and I'm thankful for it. At at the same time, God, like 2017 has been hard. It's been just as hard as every other year and some of us have just walked through tragedy. 
God, what I'm, what I'm asking for right now is in the midst of a hard and brutal race, please teach us to do the thing that you are famous for and, and, and that these people that we see in the Bible were famous for, this, this thing where you give us joy in the midst of a hard race. You give us celebration in the midst of a hard race. For the first three weeks of 2018, God, I pray that you fill our hearts with celebration because we're not where we were at the beginning of 2017. We're nowhere near the starting line anymore and you will bring to completion. You will bring us to the finish line. You'll finish what you started in us and I thank you for that. God, help us to celebrate in the midst of a tough race and help us to find some encouragement and some steam to march out into 2018. I love you very much and I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.